0: From the Brainswell Media Studios, this is the Sales Training World broadcast with your sales coach, Ryan Dorn. Ryan is an Emmy winner, a certified business coach, and a 25-year sales and marketing veteran. He has trained over 4,000 sales professionals in seven countries, and he still sells today. No fluff, no bull. Tactical and practical sales and business advice to help your business go places you never thought possible. Welcome to Sales Training World, now your sales coach your business coach your host Ryan Dorn if you sell anything you have found your home right here in sales training world in the sales world hey friends my name is Ryan Dorn and welcome to the podcast for May 2018 we've got uh, great topics and a great show Ahead for us today. We're gonna be uh, meeting with and hearing from Robert Stagno today. He's the author of the book, A Member Is Worth a Thousand Visitors. And he's really gonna talk about how people are making money online. So if you're a a sales leader, if you're in a sales organization that's getting leads from the internet, you're gonna wanna pay attention to Rob's advice, no matter what business that you're in. Also, if maybe you have clients that are getting sales leads from the internet or from their website, you're going to want to pay attention to that conversation. We're going to talk about that infamous phrase. We're going to grow a little bit. I need to think about it. Wah, wah, wah. Yeah, I know. We hear it every day, don't we? In uh, sales land, I need to think about it. I'm going to share with you my seven ideas on how uh, we deal with that on a regular basis. And this isn't going to be a bunch of gimmicks, a bunch of tricks. This is going to be real world advice that is really gonna fly in the face of traditional sales training. I'm criticized on a regular basis by a lot of national sales trainers because what I preach is actually from the heart. And the reason I say that is because a lot of sales trainers that are on the national sales training circuit, you hear them speak on YouTube, Facebook, and things like that, quite honestly, They haven't sold anything in years. And so because of that, their strategies are becoming outdated. And quite honestly, they're taking old school to a new place. So when you hear, I need to think about it, what do you say? What do you do? And uh, we're going to come back to that here in just a couple of seconds. You know, I'd be a pretty terrible sales coach and sales trainer if I couldn't sell some sponsors uh, on my own podcast. So big shout out to the fine folks over at Open Look Business Solutions, Mike and Brad and Kevin and the entire Open Look team. Uh, They're online at open-look.com. What do they do? Uh, They're a company that offers outsourced solutions to companies like yours. So they can help you to reduce expenses in data collection, in data cleanup, uh, running audits for yourself, for your clients, whatever the circumstance is. They can help you with your sales efforts, customer surveys. I mean, you name it, they can help with it. It's open-look.com, open-look.com. So, big shout out to Open Look Business Solutions for being the title sponsor here of the Sales Training World podcast each and every month. Uh, We got your listener questions coming up as well. Thanks so much to you for sending those questions in. Uh, So we've got uh, Brandon that's got a question for us. We've got a Rebecca that's got a question. And we've got a question from some guy named Ryan. (laughs) So thanks so much, Brandon, Rebecca, and Ryan. Your listener questions are going to be coming up here in just a couple of minutes. Also, Robert Stagno, uh, book author right around the corner. All right. So what's the most? Let's grow a little bit. Let's learn a little bit. What's the most common thing that we hear in the sales business? The most common thing is, I need to think about it. It's very common. Now, national sales trainers, people like me, but not me, people that are on the speaking circuit and speak at sales seminars, you hear, I need to think about it all the time. And they've got some tricks. They've got some pressure tactics to increase the pressure, to bring the pain well, come on, guys. If we're going to be in the sales business and we're going to be successful, the more screws we put to our clients, the more pressure we put on them, the more likely it is they're not going to sign and they're not going to do a deal with us. So it's important to understand. I need to think about it is common and how do we handle it without being uh, without being salesy, and without coming across as being swarmy or creepy. So here's my seven ideas. Number one, I like to identify the two most likely obstacles. And I ask the prospect to choose one, or I like to come up with the two most likely obstacles so that I can eliminate them as a problem from the conversation. So if someone said to me, hey, Ryan, I need to think about it. Now, remember, I sell software, I sell media, I sell events, I sell all kinds of, and I sell myself. When someone says, I need to think about it, my response is different than almost everybody else. My response is, hey, that's totally understandable. A lot of my customers need some time to think about it. Could it be that you're worried about the price, or maybe that using the software is not going to fix your problem? Now, they might say, actually, no, it's not the price, and it's not that. Okay, then my response would be, tell me, what is, what's stopping you from making that decision? Is there a question that you have for me? What's stopping you from making a decision? Notice the tone of my voice. I'm quiet. I'm humble. I'm trying to ask questions to isolate obstacles. Because if I can isolate those obstacles, I might be able to work them through it. It's important, though, if you are deploying sales strategies like, well, you know what you're thinking about today, somebody else thought about yesterday. Really? Try that on a millennial and see what happens to you. If you're like me over the age of 40, I'm 46, I don't consider myself to be old, try one of those old school closing techniques on a millennial and see what happens. More than likely, they'll throw you out the door or they'll hang up on you. So, number 1 for me is I try to use questioning to identify the most likely obstacles stopping them from making a decision, and it's important my tone is everything. Now on the podcast, I'm goofy and I'm arrogant and you know, I'm trying to be pretty cheeky about stuff, but when I'm working with a client, I try to be humble. I try to be at their level. I don't try to tower over them like a lot of people advise. I try to be an excellent, excellent representative of my company. I try to be quiet. And I try to work them through this issue of I need to think about it. Number two, when you're concerned that a customer is making potentially a bad decision, I truly believe that you should say so. I truly believe it. People usually appreciate your concern. So if you felt like somebody was making a bad decision, I might say, I'm concerned you might be making the wrong decision. May I have your permission to share my concerns. And the reason that I want to say that is because I want to be genuinely empathetic to their situation. I also want to prove to them that I value their business. Now, the only way you can pull this off is if you are a person that exudes genuine concern. If you're a goof, if you're a comedian, if you're a knucklehead, they're probably not going to believe that you're concerned anyway. Now, I don't believe that this is a sales technique or a sales strategy. I believe this comes from an actual point of concern as a human being. This is a human touch point. Now, if you're actually not concerned and you're using it as a sales technique, hey, it's gonna backfire. It's not gonna work for you. So you don't wanna do that. So number one is identify the most likely obstacles and choose, uh, choose one of those to focus in on the prospect with. But number two, if you are concerned that they're making the wrong decision, Simply say, I'm concerned that you might be making the wrong decision. May I have your permission to share my concern? You could use this at the end of a sales call. You could use them when they're saying, I need to think about it. You can also use this if they say no. Now, if you're not concerned, don't say this. If you're not an empathetic person that's got a human touch, don't do this. If you are, it it works quite well. All right, number three. Seven ways to respond to I need to think about it. Number three, get a reality check. Okay, number three, get a reality check. What I mean by that is when someone says, I need to think about it. Most of the time when I hear, let me think about it, what people really mean is, no thank you. Can you tell me, is that what you're thinking? That you're really not interested? Is that how you're feeling? Again, this is empathetic. Again, this is uh, human in its nature uh, and its form. I truly believe that it's something that is genuine, and I would rather have a no from somebody than chase them down. Now, I'm going to be assaulted online with this one because many sales trainers, large and small, many sales trainers will say never give a client an opportunity to say no. That is ridiculous. No is the first yes. No. Now, no might mean maybe, but no being no is no. And if someone would rather tell me no because they genuinely mean no, I don't want to waste my time as a salesperson chasing somebody down that's actually not interested at all. If you've done a good job on the sales call, you have presented in a very appropriate and effective way. If you've isolated their pain points, if you've figured out how long that has been a pain for them, if they have some money to fix that pain, then I'm going to help them. If they have no money, if they don't know their pain points and you can't pull a out of them, I would rather get a no than spend hours of my day chasing them down. So that's why number three is important. Now, if the answer is not no, then they're going to give you some type of angle or some way to lead the conversation forward. So number three is when someone says, I need to think about it, get a reality check. You can say to them, you know, sometimes when people say, I need to think about it, they actually mean, no, I'm not interested. And they just are afraid, or they just aren't comfortable saying no to me as a person because, you know, I'm very likable. Ha ha ha. And I'd rather have someone say no to me than lead me on and waste a bunch of my time. All right, go ahead and send me those hate emails. Okay. Because I know a lot of people don't like this, but let me just tell you this. I don't necessarily care because it works for me. I'd rather get a no from somebody than be drug along for weeks and weeks and weeks and weeks. All right. Number four, check on other decision makers. If someone says, I need to think about it, you want to check on other decision makers. So you might say something like, I understand. As you and your team are considering your final decision, is there anyone else who's maybe on the fence or going to be involved in the process that I need to speak with? They're probably going to say, no, I'm, I'm the person. I'll take care of it from there. So then I typically would say, are there any talking points I can arm you with to help these other folks in their decisions? Do you need a copy of my slide deck? Would you like me to create a slide share for you? Uh, Would you like me to create a video for you? Uh, Handouts, anything like that that would help you in presenting this idea. Now, what you might wanna do is, if you haven't already in the sales process, identify that your liaison to the decision maker or decision makers, make sure that the liaison is on board with you. So you might say, just to be clear, are you and I 100% on board? Are you 100% on board with this idea before you go to the decision maker? Yes, I love it. Okay, great. Is there anybody on the fence, anybody else you're going to need to speak with that you want me to speak with? The answer is probably going to be no, because that's how it works. Then I would say any PowerPoints that you need. Uh, I'd happy be happy to create a specialized slide deck for you. Do you want me to take my deck and reduce it down, put a different logo on it? What do you need me to do? to make your job really, really easy. All right, now, once again, hate mail on its way to me. That's all right, bring it on, bring it on. Hate mail on its way because most sales trainers will tell you what? Never meet with anybody that's not the decision maker. Okay, that's great advice. If that was real, if you could actually lead a sale, your sales life by never meeting with anybody that wasn't a decision maker and still pay your bills, okay, okay, I will buy you a steak dinner at an expensive steakhouse. If I said I will never meet with anyone that's not a decision maker, I would not have very many meetings because decision makers are harder to get through than ever before. They're hard to get meetings with. Very often you have to meet with a liaison. Well, you know, I refuse. I do not meet with people that aren't decision makers. That's pretty easy to say if you're a sales trainer or consultant. And you don't make your money actually selling things other than yourself. If you're like you and me listening to this podcast, we actually sell stuff, like actual stuff besides our own books. And so because of that, we actually have to meet with people that aren't decision makers. Now, let me be clear. If if I could meet with people that were only the decision maker all the time, I will absolutely do it. When I'm setting up meetings, I very often will say, will all the decision makers be in the room? The answer usually is yes. And then you get there and they're not there. You're meeting with somebody that's a junior. So are you actually suggesting to me, Mr. National Sales Trainer, that I walk out of the room? That I say, oh, forget you. No, because guess what? People have marketing directors in place. They have junior VPs in place for this purpose. To make sure that the person you're meeting with is actually not a waste of their time. Because they're busy. And I understand that. So number four, check on other decision makers. All right, number five, recapping their pain points. If they say I need to think about it, I'm going to recap their pain points with what I refer to, you've heard me talk about it before, as the match game or summary close. Now, the match game or summary close is something along the lines of, John, I understand that you might want to think about it. During our meeting, I discovered that your productivity uh, for your customer service folks is down. I shared with you how our software solution could increase their productivity by 30%. You shared with me that you're having a hard time tracking what your CSRs are actually saying to your clients. I showed you that our software has voice recognition technology, which actually puts everything they say directly into the notes through their headset microphone. I truly believe we can help you relieve these pain points at a price that you said does make sense to you. So, when you say you need to think about it, I can respect that. What else can I do to help you with this decision right now? Because I believe that we're a perfect fit. The match game close or the summary close allows you to recap your pain points and be able to say to that person, hey, I really truly believe that this software, this service, this product relieves that pain. I believe that we are a perfect match. All right, number six, after someone says, I need to think about it, I might say, okay, great, but I need to control the follow-up. You need to control the follow-up. Now, if you are going to use one of the old school closing techniques to try to pressure someone into buying, you are not going to have a great long-term customer. Sure, you're going to close them, some of those swarmy closing techniques actually work, you have to control the follow-up. So if they're going to think about it, you have to control the follow-up. So you might say, okay, great. Can we meet within the next 48 hours by phone for a quick 60-second update? And there's something magic in that 60 seconds, by the way. If you say yes, great. If you say no, I will respect your no. I'm not going to try to sell you any further. Does it sound good? So again, what I would say, if they say, I need to think about it after I try to work some of these other ideas that I've shared with you. All right, great. So you're going to think about it and I can respect that. Can we meet within the next 48 hours by phone for a quick 60 second update? If you say yes, great. If you say no, I'm going to respect your no. I'm not going to try to sell you any further. Does that sound good? Now, the reason I say 48 hours is because I truly believe that if you don't re-engage somebody within 48 hours, you are potentially going to lose them. 48 hours is a magic number uh, in finding a suspect in a crime. 48 hours is the length of time most people say you need to cool off before you come back and try to solve a a big major problem. So 48 hours for me is actually a fairly decent time frame that's realistic for me to set the follow-up. Now, what I'm going to do is I'm going to control that follow-up I'm going to get on their calendar for the follow-up. I'm never going to let them say, I'll call you. If they say, well, I'll call you back, my response is very simple. I can respect that you're going to call me back, and I appreciate that very much. Typically what happens is within the next three or four days, you're going to get busy. I'm going to get busy. And then what I'm going to do is I'm going to start calling you and emailing you, and I don't want to have a relationship with you where you see me as uh, an annoying person salesperson that's calling and emailing you over and over and over again to check in and following up with you. So if we can just set it on our calendar, one phone call, 60 seconds. If you say yes, great. If you say no, I'll respect your no, and I'm not going to try to sell you further. Now, the reason that I say that, and so many trainers disagree with me, oh, you gave them a chance to say no. Well, I'm going to sell them at some point. I obviously didn't sell them right now. Something was amiss. I was out of alignment. The product was out of alignment. Or really, they didn't have a need for my product or service. If I oversell them, I'll lose them forever. A lot of sales advisors will teach you, you got nothing to lose at that point. The sale is over. You got nothing to lose. You really do because in someone's career, in someone's life rather, uh, in today's environment, people will have as many as five different careers So they're going to go into different lines of work. I mean, statistically, I've read time and time again that millennials will have as many as 11 careers throughout their entire lifetime. Not jobs, careers. So I believe as a sales professional, just because someone doesn't buy right now doesn't mean they won't ever buy. And hardcore closing techniques that sell under pressure create unhappy customers. It's very rare that someone is pressured into a sale And then later on, they come back and say, man, I'm so glad you pressured me into that. Most people don't like that because, quite honestly, they have other options. I control the follow-up. I set it within 48 hours. I use email reminders to remind them of that. And what I don't do is ever call or email to confirm our follow-up. I show up. Instead, the last piece of advice to give you, I plan to miss each other. Number seven, I plan to miss each other. So I asked them for permission to text them. So I would say something like, okay, so we agree to meet next Tuesday at 4 p.m. for a 60-second update. They shake their head. Yeah. If for some reason we're not able to meet, which means they didn't show up for the meeting, may I text you? May I text you? Or how do you want me to follow up? So what I'm doing is I'm putting them on notice psychologically that if for some reason they miss our call, if for some reason they stand me up or whatever, I now have their permission to text them. Now, I don't text people without their permission. I've had some conversations about this with a bunch of uh, different folks that we've had uh, on the podcast over the years. And what I've noticed is that when I don't have someone's permission, they don't usually respond favorably. Now, you might say, I don't care. I don't care how they respond. Well, that's really a bad attitude to have. Quite honestly, in the sales business, you never know when someone's going to buy. Your reputation is basically the only thing that you've got. That's why a lot of these old school sales techniques or a lot of these uh, guys that are writing books like I Don't Give a Crap Sales or things like that, that's because you haven't been in the business long enough to know that sustainability in sales is mission critical. You will sell them at some point. Maybe right now is just not the time. So number seven then, is planning to miss each other. You know, I need to think about it is probably one of the most common things that we hear in the sales business. So number one, I identify the two most likely obstacles and I ask the prospect to isolate onto one of those or I isolate and identify the two most likely obstacles and I try to eliminate those as a point of stop from the sales process. Number two, when I'm concerned that a client is making a poor decision, I ask for permission and I share my concerns. Number three, I get a reality check with them. If they are saying I need to think about it, maybe they're actually saying no, I'd rather them say no, uh, well I shouldn't say I'd rather them say no, I'd rather them say yes. I'd rather know it's a no than waste my time chasing them down. Of course I'd always much prefer to get a yes. Number four, I always want to check in other decision makers that are in the process. Number five, I always recap their pain points. What are the pain points that they showed me in the meeting, they revealed to me in the meeting, using the match game close show that I have absolutely done a great job of answering those pain points. Number six, so important. When they need to think about it, you control the follow-up. You set the follow-up meeting within 48 hours. You put them on the calendar. Don't let them control the follow-up. And then number seven, they're probably going to blow you off on that follow-up. So plan to miss each other by asking permission to text them. It's probably the most common thing we hear. You want to be prepared for it. And guess what? I'm prepared for hate mail about this because quite honestly, this is a point of contention for a lot of people in the sales business. I need to think about it. Might mean yes, might mean no, might mean maybe, but maybe you've got a technique that you use that you think is better than mine. That's awesome. I love it. Drop me an email. Ryan at ryandorn.com. D-O-H-R-N. Ryan at ryandorn.com. And maybe you want to be in the podcast and you want to debate it out with me. Ah oh, man, I'd love that to do that. So check it out. Send me an email. I'd be happy to, to answer your questions and also to hear how you respond to I need to think about it. All right, every now and again, we have an opportunity to have somebody on the podcast um, that really brings a a different uh, tone and a different light to the sales conversation. All of us recognize that our websites uh, drive a lot of leads, a lot of business uh, for us, and also for our customers. As a point of learning, uh, one of the things that I do is I read a lot. So when I came across the book, A Member is Worth a Thousand Visitors from Rob Rastagno, I thought, man, we need to talk about this book. Now, a lot of you know me that I spent a lot of time in the media business. That's where I uh, met Rob. Um, But this book applies to way more than the media business. If you are a sales organization that's trying to bring in leads, you need to read this book. If you're dealing with clients that use their website to bring in leads, you need to reveal this book. So um, Rob, thanks for being here, brother. And um, the book is great, by the way, out on Amazon. Um, Rob, before we get started, folks that don't know you, if you would, please take a second and tell them a little bit about you.
1: Sure, Ryan. And before I talk about myself, I just want to say thank you for having me. I'm I'm a big fan of yours. I've been following your work for a long time, and you're one guy who practices what he preaches. And you know what you're talking about. So it. it's really an honor to be here. Yeah, I'm looking forward to this. I appreciate it. Yeah. So I, I consider myself a lifelong media nerd. <laughs> I, I started a <laughs> newspaper. Yeah, I started a newspaper when I was 11 years old in my neighborhood, and used the money to buy Nintendo games. Uh, <laughs> But, you know more professionally, I, I started my career at McKinsey, and I focused on media and entertainment clients. Then I went on to work for various niche niche media companies until a few years ago when I started the Sterling Woods Group, really with the aim of helping publishers make more money online. So we've developed this Five Forces framework, which we teach our clients. Uh, and we offer services like training, consulting, Uh, And then we found that some clients don't always have resources to implement all the things that we recommend. So we're also a full service agency that works on contingency because we believe in what we do. So we only make money when you make money.
0: Nice. Awesome. That's great. Well, you and I've had a lot of conversations about how your work applies to sales and all of us in the sales business know that if we have great website traffic, then we have something really exciting to sell. So one of the things that I loved about uh, the book is, you have several focuses, but one of the focuses, or actually one of the chapters I think is called Focus on Whales. In, in my business, whales are are those big clients. In your business, I'm guessing the whales are the, the best visitors that you can get. So if you don't mind, just talk to folks a little bit about what does it mean or what do you mean by Focus on Whales?
1: Yeah, I, I see a lot of overlap, actually. Uh, the whales uh, concept that applies to big sponsors and big advertisers also applies to your visitors. So when talking about opportunities to, to sell products to your reader base, to your, to your site visitors, I also would cover up the audience into whales, fish and barnacles. And the concept is if we spend too much time worrying about our barnacles, this is the 40% of visitors who probably won't ever spend a penny with you. Mm -hmm. Uh, we're just going to drive ourselves crazy. So the idea is to find that top 10, 15, 20% of your audience and really understand what problems that your content solves for them and figure out why they're so loyal to your brand. And create products all around their wants and needs.
0: That makes sense. You know, in, in uh, my business, I separated out almost the same percentage uh, wise. I have minnows and I have cod in the middle, and I have whales on the uh, on the top end. And I tell salespeople all the time, if you spend too much time on those minnows that you call barnacles, if you which I love, by the way, I might steal that just so you know. I will <laughs> I will give you credit at least ten times. Um, all right, <laughs> and then after that, sorry. Um, if you spend some, too much time on those small on those small minnow clients. I mean, they literally are a bigger pain in the tail uh, than your big clients. And they spent you waste so much time on those folks. Um, So I really love uh, that focus uh, that you've got in an entire chapter dedicated to it. Now, as we're trying to we want the best website traffic possible, obviously, so we can really, you know, convert those folks over into great data that we potentially can sell. Can you talk about conversions a little bit? Because I know that's a really important uh, piece of the book.
1: Yeah, absolutely. So what we've found when trying to get a visitor to convert to a product on your site, a few things need to be happening uh, online. First of all, within five seconds, I call this the five seconds test, the visitor needs to know who you're targeting, what problem you're solving for them, and how you're solving that in a way that's better than anyone else out there. Which is a steep challenge for people in the publishing space who may feel like they're competing with free content on Mm -hmm. people's blogs or on YouTube, etc. But I've found that publishers can do a great job at communicating, first defining, and then communicating that value proposition to their visitors, do a great job at driving conversions.
0: That makes sense. And it applies whether, I guess, you're in TV, radio, publishing, um, or just running just a a regular mom-and-pop business. I kind of like that five second rule. Um, You know, there is another five second rule that when you drop food on the ground, you know you have five seconds that you.
1: That is true. And actually my wife went to Connecticut College and her professor actually studied it. And I believe that he found that it is true. You do have five seconds. But it it depends on the texture of the food. Oh, I think, God. The, yeah, the finding.
0: Oh, that's funny. Well, we also know everybody on the other end of this, I promise, is laughing. We also know that the conversion piece is important because um in the end, I truly believe, you know, when the lights go out at the end of the whatever, the end of the world, um, whether you believe in heaven or hell or whatever you believe. He who has the data, the best data in the end, is, is going to win. And if we're trying to sell webinars, uh, sell banner, you know, potentially banner activity, sponsored content, that type of thing, we've got to have the best site visitors and we've got to have the best data. So converting the very best people allows us to sell more. And I can just really see on the end of that how important the conversion funnel is to not only selling products immediately, but then also having really, really great data for us to be able to match with future clients as well. So that's, that's awesome. That's awesome. Now, yeah. you talk a lot about testing and experimentation, which I love, and people don't do enough out of it in any of the media businesses that I, I work in. So can you talk about that a little bit?
1: Out there that are, are so easy to implement for anyone in the media space that will help them run A-B split tests on their site to figure out what is the ultimate uh, ultimate copy mm-hmm. offer user experience we should be using to drive more conversions. And these could be conversions either to our own products or in the ad sales world to products that are sold by our sponsors. And in fact, we see a huge opportunity with our clients to not only sell more of their own products using some of these levers that we teach, but also sell more products for sponsors, which I think just adds to the overall package that they're offering to it, their client.
0: Yeah, it really does. Why, why do you feel like, why do more people not in the in the media business why do they not do more A-B testing and split testing experimentation for their clients?
1: I found that there's just so much data out there that it can be overwhelming. Mm-hmm. And so the key is to create what I call a learning agenda. Hmm. So really, what are the three or four questions on your mind? What, what, you know, for example, does long-form copy convert better than short-form copy? Let's spend a month just testing long form versus short form to get a solid answer to figure out what we think is better, given our whales, what they want, how they consume content, how they Mm -hmm. make purchase decisions, and move on to the next month to the next question we're trying to answer. Maybe we want to say, is a 14-day trial a better offer than $10 off? Well, let's test that the next month and see what wins. I think the temptation is to test too many different things at once or to analyze all the data all at once. When really, if we're strategic and say, these are the three or four or five questions that are really going to matter, then we can spec out some tests and some campaigns to run and really get some answers and move on to the next question.
0: I wonder if for some advertisers, I'd love your opinion on this, I wonder if this is a sellable entity or maybe a differentiating factor in the sales process, meaning that we're sitting with an advertiser and they're maybe kind of on the fence between us and another product, digital, let's just say we'll focus on digital for a second. I wonder if I'm able to say to them, for no additional charge, maybe, I hate to do that, for no additional charge, we can actually do, we can test three different pieces of copy, three different types of sponsored content, and actually do some testing. I wonder if you feel like that might be a differentiating factor in the sales process between one company and another. What are your thoughts on that?
1: Absolutely. Absolutely. We talked about how it's a challenge for for publishers and and media executives to take advantage of all the A-B testing tools. This really is not a problem isolated to our industry. It's really across the board that... Executives at companies in any industry are struggling to find the time and the, and the and the resources to try some of these digital experiments. So, to the extent that we could provide those services for them, I, I see that adding tons of value. Uh, you know, I also hate giving stuff away for free. So maybe uh, at the very least, a differentiator, but potentially even a whole new revenue stream for publishers.
0: Yeah, I would agree with that. I think that we're always looking for something that differentiates us because advertisers, uh, whether you're in the newspaper business, radio business, whatever, they tend to want to create this apples to apples comparison between two companies. And what they're really doing is they're trying to force us into that apples to apples comparison when it's really like an apples to salmon comparison. We've got to have things that are, you know, we're both, they're both food groups, but it's kind of an unfair comparison. So for those listening to the podcast, I feel like you could potentially, even as simply as saying, and this is a very basic example, let's put together two completely different banner ads for you, different colors, different copy, things like that, uh, to be able to test that out. <laughs> I think we all would re- recognize that banner ads are obviously not the future of, of media, but I've even had some clients that are testing sponsored content, as you mentioned, long form versus short mm. form uh, mm. versus content that has multiple pictures versus content that has videos. But one, yeah, exactly. th- one thing I didn't I didn't um, I didn't, you know, have a chance to ask you about was as it relates to, you know, social media, uh, using videos and things like that, landing on landing pages. Has there been anything that you found o- that's just overwhelmingly very influential, like if you include video, it always converts better or if you include this or that, it always converts better? Is there any kind of universal truths to, to that, that we can share or anything like that?
1: My universal truth is there is no universal truth. <laughs> and this comes back to the concept of focusing on your whales. Okay, Videos may work tremendously if your whales happen to be, I don't know, millennials and in a uh, consumer enthusiast space. But if you're targeting senior executives in a say let's say a stodgier industry. I'm not going to name names. Right. Perhaps videos, you know, perhaps videos is not the best way to go. And maybe you really want to do some sort of long form content uh, that's uh, viewable on a on a phone uh, or print that prints out nicely because the person likes to print it out and read it on the treadmill every morning mm-hmm. when he or she exercises. So it comes back to really understanding uh you know what channels, what formats mm-hmm. What length of con- content, what style of content resonates the best with your whales?
0: Yeah, it makes sense. That's great. Well, you know, um, Rob, one of the things that you and I encounter a lot as consultants, consultants in this business, is that media execs they just really feel like, hey, I can't, I can't add any more staff. I can't. I mean, I, I just can't expand. I love the idea, Ryan, Rob, love the idea. I can't expand. What are your, what are your secrets or your thoughts on uh, the whole bandwidth question?
1: I've seen publishers get successful results trying new things by leveraging external resources and whether that's a consultant or an agency or a freelancer, I know a lot of people have had success with with using Upwork or other services like that Mm -hmm. uh, really to spark the creativity, to move people out of the day to day, to break what I call initiative inertia companies Mm -hmm. that keep doing the same thing are going to keep getting the same results. So to, to rely on an external resource to break that inertia for you, tap into some expertise and really frankly prove the concept before you invest a lot of time and money into it. Mm-hmm. We all know how expensive it is and time consuming to hire new people, to launch new initiatives and you have benefits and, and search fees and you have to find them desk space and an office and computers and software. I highly recommend finding an external resource to help you get something going. And then once it takes off, that's giving you the cash flow right there to go hire resources to bring it in-house.
0: Thanks so much, Rob, for being on the Sales Training World podcast. We all appreciate it. And best of luck on your new book. All right, friends. My favorite part of the program, your listener questions. Thanks for sending those in. Ryan at ryandorn.com. D-O-H-R-N. Ryan at RyanDorn.com. All right, we got questions uh, from Brandon, from Rebecca, and from a guy named Ryan—not me. Another guy named Ryan. So let's start out with the uh, Brandon's question uh, from Los Angeles. Uh, he writes in, uh, Ryan, I'm looking for a new sales job. Uh, do you have any advice on how I should continue with my current sales job while I'm looking for a new job? You know, um, Brandon, it's great question, and Los Angeles is a uh, tough market uh, to work in in the sales business. Good news is uh, good salespeople are in uh, high demand. So one of the things you want to be really careful of is you don't want to make your current employer angry, and you want to make sure you fulfill your obligations to your current employer. Now, it's very unlikely that you could go to your current employer and say, hey, I'm looking for a new job. It's, it's fairly unlikely. So you want to be careful that you don't burn any bridges. I don't care what anybody says. Burning bridges in any business absolutely does not work out. So you want to make sure that you're pretty cool about it. Now, I'm not a big fan of headhunters. Um, I like to look online, but what I really do is I network more than anything else. Finding a job online and getting that interview online is almost impossible. And so whether you're using Indeed.com or ZipRecruiter or whatever to post your resume online, The chances of you getting a call back in today's environment is actually pretty pretty slim. So what I do is I go to my network of people. It might be private messaging on Facebook. It might be going to a lot more parties than you would normally go to. And I want to stay really positive. It's very important if you're looking for a new job, stay positive. You might not, whatever you do, don't talk bad about your current company. It's not going to win you any favor with anybody. Instead, I think your approach wants to be positive. You want to say, hey, you know, I'm just looking for some more growth opportunities, um, maybe looking to move into more of a management role, Or, you know, I've had some great success at this current company. Just looking for a bigger compensation package. Love this current company. Even if you hate them, I think you want to talk really positively about your current company. And, of course, ask folks to keep it uh, confidential. I would tell you that placing your resume online probably is not going to get you the best result. Doesn't mean you shouldn't try to do that. But where I found in my career that I get the best jobs and the best job leads, quite honestly, are through people that I know. So uh, amp up your network, get out to more networking events, make sure that you speak very positively. If you're talking negatively about your current employer, it doesn't look good for your future employer. And remember, the person you're talking to might potentially be your future employer. So Brandon, good luck in your job quest. Good news is this. Good salespeople are in high demand, so be realistic about your starting salary, your commissions, your requirements, and stay positive. I think you'll find something out there. All right, from the Midwest, uh, Des Moines, Iowa, Uh, Rebecca asks, Ryan, I am very concerned about my call volume. I truly don't have enough people to call on. Well, Rebecca, that's a really common problem, especially if your company uh, is not giving you leads. Now, a lot of you work for companies that spend a lot of money on marketing, so you've got great leads that are coming in. That's not me. Um, Rebecca, you might be like me. I have to find my own prospects. So one of the things that I do is I'll identify one quality, really good prospect. I'll write them on a piece of paper. So imagine if I've drawn a circle and I've put in, put the name of company like ABC in that circle. To expand my prospecting list, I immediately think of three of ABC's competitors. So now what I've done is I've taken one prospect and actually turned it into a total of four. So just as I'm just going to give you an example from my life. If I'm working with a, man, a pump manufacturer, and let's just say they're company ABC, what I'm going to do is I'm going to think of three other pump manufacturers that are competitors of company ABC, And then I'm gonna use that knowledge to be able to expand my prospect list. Now, obviously, you don't wanna talk about each other during the sales process because that could be unethical. It could cause all kinds of problems. Now, maybe what you're asking, Rebecca, is that within the market or industry that you work, there really aren't people to call on. Now, if that's the circumstance and you've really identified and done your research and you've literally run out of prospects, that's something you need to go back to your sales manager and talk through. Hey, here's what I've done. What are you, what can I do to expand my prospect list? They should have good quality advice for you. Now, if their advice is get out out there on the street and start talking to more people, well, you're going to need to do what they say. But at a certain point in time, if you really feel like you've run out, like there are no more people to talk to for this particular product, then probably it's time to find something else to sell. Remember, quality salespeople are in high demand. So just think through that thoroughly. But I try to use one one of my clients and their competitors to potentially expand my horizons. The other thing is, is there's a lot of research tools that are out there, whether you're using winmo.com, W I N M O.com, uh, whether you're using the LinkedIn Sales Navigator, which I think is a fantastic tool. Uh, to use, doing research just blindly on Google. Um, There's a lot of time that has to be spent in the prospecting phase. Remember, there's three phases to the sales process. Prospecting, hosting really great meetings and closing deals. And the third is retaining uh, clients. So you could also, though, one of the things I do often is ask for recommendations. I do that a lot. Whether somebody says yes to me or somebody says no to me, um, I'm always asking for client recommendations. Is there anybody else you think Uh, that you know might benefit uh, from this product or from this service. So it's definitely a problem, Rebecca, so I wish you uh, the best of luck in trying to uh, figure it out. All right, last but not least, uh, Ryan, and Ryan is from Milwaukee, another Midwest uh, question, Milwaukee, Wisconsin. I just was actually up in the Milwaukee uh, area not that long ago, and a nice part of the country, very, very pretty. Uh, Ryan's question is, uh, Ryan's question to me, Ryan, we are required to punch a time clock as salespeople when we come in, We're required to go out on the street, and at the end of the day, we're required to come back and to punch a time clock as well. Is this realistic, and is this the norm? Uh, Ryan, this is not the norm, and quite honestly, in the sales business, it's probably not realistic. So because I don't know your business, it's a little bit weird for me to answer this question. Quite honestly, I probably shouldn't, but I'm going to because I'm bold, Ryan, because I'm bold. It's important to recognize that punching a time clock is not exactly what salespeople do imagining that in the past the salespeople at this office or whatever have potentially abused the situation and they're trying to create a system of accountability. So maybe you roll with it for a certain period of time, but punching a time clock for salespeople is not necessarily the norm in any business that I've been a part of or that I have uh, consulted for. Now, if you like the product, if you like the service, um, time clocks are usually for hourly employees. So if you're in sales and you're being paid hourly, that's a little wonky uh, as well. So you may just very politely ask, hey, what's what's the whole punching the time clock thing? What's that, you know all about? Uh, be really polite about it. You probably didn't know about that before you took the job. So you might find yourself in kind of a a weird situation. I don't know your circumstance, so I hate to tell you to, hey, go find a different job, but I would tell you that it's a little bit peculiar. But I'm a big fan of doing what my boss says, okay? So in my personal life, I'm a big fan of doing what my wife says, okay? (laughs) She's the boss around here. Happy wife, happy life. I'm also a really big fan of doing what my boss at work says. So I do a lot of contract sales work. But big fan of doing what the boss says because, you know, they're paying my bills. So I think that's an important piece. Ryan, good luck to you. You know, if you want to drop me an email, ryan at ryandorn.com. Drop me an email. Give me some more circumstances and I'd be happy to uh, give you a few more thoughts via email uh, as well. All right, friends. Remember, if sales was easy, everybody would be doing it. And they're not. So we're either crazy, which is possible, or we found a career that will truly feed our families for a lifetime. Remember, I've got a lot of opinions. This podcast is just my opinion. If you disagree, come back because you might disagree again next time. And isn't it fun? It'd be so boring if we always agreed all the time. The purpose of the Sales Training World podcast is really straightforward. I want to share with you what I do in my own personal sales life to grow my business. I've been in the sales and marketing business for 28 years. I've had my highs, I've had my lows, I've had my in-betweens, but the positives far, far outweigh the negatives. Don't forget our friends uh, they are sponsoring the podcast over at open-look.com. Open Look Business Solutions, helping you reduce costs by outsourcing all of those things that you don't wanna do that could potentially make you more productive. Reach out to Brad, to Mike, And to Kevin and the fine folks over at Open Look Business Solutions, open-look.com. And thanks, friends, for sponsoring the podcast. All right, if you need something from me, reach out. Salestrainingworld.com is the website where you can find out more information. Love to come in and train your team. Love to have you come here to the beautiful Augusta, Georgia area. Spend a day with me. Let's golf. Let's talk sales. Let's have some fun together. And so come check that out. If you're in the media sales business, we've got a podcast just for you on iTunes called Ad Sales Nation. So if you found us through the media sales business, you can move from this podcast over to the Ad Sales Nation podcast, which I think uh, that you'll really, really enjoy. John and Clay and myself and Andre, we're all here to help you grow your sales business. So reach out to us. Happy to answer your questions. Ryan at RyanDorn.com. If you've got a sales conference coming up, love to come and speak to your group and encourage you, motivate you, and get you ready to get out on the street and sell a heck of a lot more stuff. Friends, sales is tough. So grow, learn, be the very, very best that you can be. All right, friends, that wraps up the podcast for the month of May, 2018. My name is Ryan Dorn. and Thanks so much for being here with us. God bless you. We'll see you out on the street.